If you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, we're in chapter 55 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 615. And as I've mentioned last week, due to the density and the length of the book of Isaiah, we had to vary our approach, the depth that we can go into in each of these sermons. Some sermons span several chapters, and we really just looked at a high-level themes. Other sections of the book we skipped over completely. And then there are some chapters where we stop and we slow down and we dig in deep. And chapter 55 is one of these chapters. Last week we looked at the first five verses of this chapter. And we saw this chapter begins with a universal invitation. An invitation to all who thirst. And it's a call to come to the waters, to come to Christ, to come to Christ to be satisfied. And we saw this invitation is free. We saw that we come without money, we come without price. We also saw that we often are distracted. Often we spend much of our time, much of our money, much of our effort in the wrong place on things that do not satisfy. But if we listen to the Lord, if we listen diligently to the Lord, to his word, if we incline our ears to him, we will hear, as the text says, that our souls may live. We will have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be changed. We will be transformed to a new creation. We will be transformed from the, from the kingdom of darkness, that is the kingdom of this world, to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of God. And as new citizens in the kingdom of light, we are free from the obligations that we had as citizens of the kingdom of darkness. And what were those obligations? Those obligations were bondage. Bondage to sin. Bondage to self. Bondage to this world. But now, now we have new obligations. Now we have a, a new king, and we have obligations to live for that king, that king, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said, uh, as Christians, we are bond servants of Christ. That means we are slaves to Christ. So this is what we looked at last week. But today we see that this invitation to come to the waters, an invitation that is freely giving to all who thirst, we see that this invitation is for a limited time only. And as such, there is, there's an urgency in this invitation. It's, a, it's an invitation that really demands an urgent response to us. So Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, yes, your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and Lord, without your Holy Spirit, we cannot even understand, we cannot even comprehend your thoughts, we cannot even comprehend your word. So, Father, we need your spirit. We beg for your spirit to be with us. I beg for your spirit to be with me. I know without your spirit, I can't say anything that is worthy, that is, that is worth hearing. And each one of us cannot hear you without that illumination that comes from the Holy Spirit. So we beg you, Father, illuminate the preaching of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I mentioned this incident in a sermon years ago, but this is an event that really had a, a lasting impact on me as a child. I was about three years old, and my parents took me to a, a weekend trip to the beach. And their friends had a, a beach house there, and, and their friends had, had children that were a little older than me, like five or, or six. 
And one morning I was in, in this rotten mood. I, I was tired. I didn't sleep well. So I was just a, a, a miserable little creature. And, and, and I whined and I cried no matter what we did. When we went to the beach, I complained that the sand was too sandy. I, I didn't want to be in the sand. When we went in the water, the water was too wet. It was too cold. It was, it was too salty. I wanted to be in the beach. I went on the beach, and then the, the, the other kids were making a sandcastle, and I knocked over the sandcastle, and I wondered why they didn't want to play with me. I just whined and cried. So we then left the beach, my, my, my parents, and they took us over to a trampoline park. And we had about you know, 10 or 15 minutes to jump on the trampolines. Again, I complained. I remember my dad took me, he threw me on the, the, the trampoline, and I screamed. I was terrified that I was going to fall between the, the, there was a little springs holding the mat on the trampoline. I was afraid that I was going to fall in the pit. And, and, and I, I jumped off, immediately jumped off. And then I was distracted by a vending machine. I, I wanted to eat something. And my dad said, we'll eat later. We'll, we'll get them a drink later. You only have a little few minutes on the trampoline. And I just kept getting off. I was, I was playing in the sand. I did anything but jump on the trampoline. But then the time expired. And we had to stop jumping. And, and, and the, other friend, the other kids stopped jumping. Well, what do you think I wanted to do? That's when I wanted to go back on the trampoline. And I tried to go back on the trampoline. My dad physically stopped me from going on the trampoline. And of course, I screamed even louder. I screamed, I wailed. This was horrible. I wailed all the way they took me home. I, wa- I-, I wasted an opportunity. And-, and the really sad part is I remembered this event for years. Years later, this event would, would ups- get me upset because I squandered this opportunity. Like I would never, ever go on a trampoline again. That's what I felt. Like I, I-, I lost this event. And as tragic as-, as this childhood example, this experience was, this absolutely nothing. There's absolutely nothing in comparison, in comparison to the eternal regret, the eternal remorse, the eternal wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth experienced by those who miss the window of opportunity for salvation. For those who refuse the invitation to come to the waters and be satisfied. For those who reject the the free offer of grace, wrongly assuming that this offer will always be there. I can come to it later. When when, When I've sowed my wild oats, then I'll come to it, assuming that they'll have the ability to come to it. This is not always guaranteed. And this passage starts with the exhortation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And implied in this exhortation and taught elsewhere in scripture is the understanding that this offer to come to the waters and to be satisfied by the waters this offer comes from god it's his invitation to eternal salvation and he is free he is free to withdraw that invitation anytime he wants to so my friends now is the time of grace now the door of salvation is open to all who come to christ by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone But this offer is for a limited time only. It is not valid for all eternity. The reality is that this offer can end at any time and it can end without warning. We know this offer of grace is only available in this life. We know that at our death, our our eternal state is sealed, either a state of grace or a state of condemnation. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Judgment comes at death. And we, we don't know when this will be. None, none of us are guaranteed really to see another sunrise. We all know people who are suddenly taken away. Now taken to glory, if they're in Christ, that day that they're taken from is the best day of their lives, and it just gets better for that day after day after day for all eternity. That's for those who are in Christ. But there are others. There are others who are taken away to all eternal torment. And this is the worst day of their lives. 
And each day will get worse and worse for all eternity with no hope of escape. And this is really a horrible thought. We don't, we don't want to think about this. But this thought really should motivate us as Christians to motivate us to action, motivate us to, to pray for the lost, to share the gospel with the lost, to invite the lost to church. Maybe, maybe they say, I, I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, invite them to come to church. Invite them to come to Bible study. Invite them to talk to someone. We should be, we should be it's, this should get our intention. Judgment is real. There is judgment at death. Scripture also warns us that Christ came first. When he came first, he came as a savior. He came to rescue us. But it warns that he will come back as a judge. He will come back to judge the living and the dead, as we said this morning in the Nicene Creed. Revelation chapter 19, we're given a vision of Christ's return. John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. This is what Judgment Day will look like for the unbelievers. Judgment Day will be unspeakably horrible for all those who have rejected Christ, who have rejected this, this free offer that is now open to come to the waters, to be, to be covered in Christ's righteousness. My friends, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. The door of grace is open. The mercy seat is open still. Now is the time of grace. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now is the time that he can be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is near at this moment. Do not neglect so, so great, so, so marvelous, so amazing an offer. This door will one day be closed. It will be eternally closed. And my friends, when the, when the Lord closes this door, there is no power. There is no power in the universe that is able to open that door. Don't be like the foolish virgins that, virgins that we read about in Matthew 25. They failed to prepare for the coming of the bridegroom. And as a result, they were locked out of the marriage feast. And they begged to be let in. They said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And they heard these horrible words in response. Truly I said to you, I do not know you. This is eternal regret. This is real. And as horrible as this eternal regret is, this isn't the most chilling part of this verse. See, we can understand that this door of grace is open only during this life. We can understand that after death, there is judgment. And we can understand that there is a time, and this time seems to be so much in the future, but this time could actually even be today. There's a time when Christ will return in judgment, and this door of grace will be closed. To some extent, this is understandable. But this is not the most chilling part of the verse. The most chilling part of the verse is that for many people, for many people, this final judgment comes long before, long before the door of salvation is formally closed, long before the time of grace has ended with the sinner's death or with Christ's return. See, the urgency of this verse calls for the sinner to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Implied is that even though this invitation may not be formally withdrawn, the Lord may not always be able to be found. We may not always be able to find him. He may not always be near. 
So to further expand upon this idea, I want us to look briefly at our New Testament reading from the book of Hebrews. So if you would turn to Hebrews 3, if you're in your pew Bible, that's found on page 1002, Hebrews chapter 3, and take a look at verse 15. And this is actually a quote from Psalm 95, which we used as our call to worship this morning. So you'll see it there as well. And verse 15 in Hebrews 3 says, Today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did as in the rebellion. See, this whole section of the book of Hebrews, it is a warning. It is a warning not to be hardened. Not to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. And the main point is that if you hear his voice, today if you hear his voice, today if you you see the beauty of the gospel, if Christ is speaking to you today through scripture, through a sermon, through the church, through the witness of a friend, do not harden your heart. Don't close your eyes. Don't refuse to be, to be impacted by the Lord. Rather, seek him. Call upon him. Submit to him. Submit to the light that he has given to you and trust him. Trust him to reveal more. Do not harden his heart. Do not push him away. Now, the truth is every single one of us does this. Every single one of us does this. At some level, we reject the light that we're given. Often we, we willfully close our eyes. Often we willfully stop our ears to God's revelation. And it's not because we don't see it. It's not because we can't see it. It's not because we don't, we don't hear it. Rather, it's because we don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. It's because we know if God is speaking to us, if we know that this is real, we know it puts an obligation on us. We know we must change. We know we must submit to what God has shown us, and we don't want to do that. God may call us to give up control, to give up the control that we want to hold on to. Or he may call us to give up this sin, to put to death this sin that we refuse to put to death. When we refuse to do. So we say, I can't hear it. See, at that very moment, at that very moment, we want that sin. We want that control more than we want God. So we close our eyes. So we stop our ears. We pretend that we do not see. We pretend that we do not hear his voice. And then we rationalize. We say, oh, it, was just, it was just a feeling. It was, it was just something I ate. It was just some sentimentality. It's just a coincidence. We rationalize so we can hang on to our sin. My friends, we all do this. Every one of us just does this. Now, thankfully, thankfully, God is gracious. Thankfully, he does not allow us to fully harden our hearts. Thankfully, he doesn't fully and forever remove his illumination from us and give us over to our sins. But nevertheless, willfully hardening our hearts to God's voice is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because there's a line. And we don't know, we don't know where this line is, but there is a line of no return. And once we cross this line, God then removes his, his supernatural illumination. He gives us over to our sin. He, he removes the, the restraining hand, and he basically allows our foolish hearts to be darkened. And when this happens, we are no longer able to, to think clearly. We're no longer able to see clearly. We basically go insane. We claim to be wise, but we actually become fools. <clears throat> and we don't know where this line is. We're not told who has crossed this line, and we should never speculate. We should never be quick to jump. That person crossed that line, so we, so we write them off. No. Rather, we should pray for, we should witness to people, we should proclaim the gospel, always assuming that there's hope. But nonetheless, there is a line. There is a line, and we must diligently keep watch, first of all, over ourselves, over our own hearts, and diligently warn others. Others who seem to be carelessly headlong, heading towards sin, rushing toward that line. 
my friends, I fear, and I can't speak definitively, and I hope I'm wrong, but, but I fear our culture. Our culture as a whole has crossed this line. Our culture as a whole has been given over to sin, given over to depravity. See, we as a society, as a Western society, I think we're no longer able to hear God's voice. I think we're no longer able to really to think rationally because we have given over to our sin. We have denied hearing God's voice. We have stopped our ears so much that we cannot hear God. And this is, this is evidenced by our society's openly contradicting nature. What we can see in nature, what should be obvious, people cannot see. For example, the strongest bond there is is the bond between a mother and a child. A mother would do anything for his child, give their life for their child. The father would give their life for their child. That is the natural way to live. But now we have a, a culture that's, that, that thinks nothing of killing the unborn. A culture and calls this good. And if you try to speak against it, you are called evil. You are called one who hates women, hates women's health care. This is a sign of, that our society has crossed the line, that we have been given over. Our foolish hearts have been hardened. We do what is opposed to nature, what is opposite of nature. There are other signs. The insanity of transgenderism. The evil that the society really now is, 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 is targeting children. This, this is the worst part. In one of our prayer meetings, Kathy Sherman shared with us a law that, is trying, that they're trying to pass in Ohio where children at any age can be given hormones without their parents' knowledge or their parents' permission if they are transgender. So you've you, you got a little boy who likes to play with dolls and pots and pans. Let me tell you a story. I had an easy bake oven as a kid, as a five-year-old. I did not turn out trans. I am a real man. I was a man then. There, there are girls who like to, to, to wear pants, like to climb trees. They are still girls. They're not boys. But you have a society that's going to tell them, no, no, little, little John, you're, you're playing with an easy bake oven. You must really be a girl. So why don't we give you these hormones? And you see the evil, what they're doing? They, without their parents' permission, they are giving hormone uh, therapy and surgeries that will permanently damage these children permanently cause lifelong psychological problems and render these children incapable of having children of their own. Do you see how evil this is? And the worst part of it, the people advocating this, they think they're the good guys. They really think they're the good guys. They, they are the champions of the civil rights of the transgender people, the human rights. Can this insanity be anything other than God's divine judgment? See, we, we look at this insanity and we say, well, God's going to judge that. No, my friends, that... Insanity is the evidence that God is already judging them, already judging us for evil. This is the sign of God's judgment. And if we fail to seek the Lord while he may be found, if we fail to call upon him while he is near, if today when we hear his voice, we harden our hearts and refuse to submit to what we hear because we refuse to repent of our sin, then we move closer and closer to that line, closer and closer to that point of no return. And we, and we become capable, really, of the same depravity that we look at and we shake our heads. The people who started like this, they weren't depraved to start with. Little by little, step by step, they hardened their hearts to the voice of the Lord. And they got to, to a depravity where they can't hear anymore. Stuff that would shock us. So is there any hope? How do, how do we stop this downward drift? This downward drift that we all do. How do we keep from, from moving closer to this line of no return? How do we keep from hardening our hearts how do we seek the Lord? Well, we see the answer in verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, the answer is repentance. The answer is repentance. Do we, and, and do we really truly understand? A lot of times we, we look at repentance. Oh, I got to say, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta, it's, it's something we have to do. Do we see what a truly divine gift repentance is? What it really is? Basically, repentance is a divine reset button that the Lord gives to us. See, we all stray. We all fail. We all fail to seek the Lord. We all fail to, to, to listen to his voice today. And we all harden our hearts. And we all choose sin rather than submission, rather than obedience to the Lord. We all move closer and closer to that line of no return. And the only hope we have, the only hope of not becoming like these people that we're shocked at, is repentance. And this verse, this verse actually gives us the assurance that if we repent, the Lord will hear. He will have compassion on us. He will abundantly pardon us. And repentance must happen as soon, as soon as we are aware that we're straying. And this awareness itself is is a gift from the Lord, a gift from which we can harden our hearts. And I'm sure you've all experienced this. You you can feel something. You say, I'm doing something. I know it's wrong. And the Lord's tugging at you. you. And you ignore it. You say, no, 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 it's okay. And all of a sudden, you don't feel like tugging anymore. All of a sudden, it's a little easier to sin. Something that would have shocked you at first, then you get comfortable. Then you enjoy. And then you continue to get worse and worse and worse. We can harden our hearts against the Lord. And this verse shows us exactly what this repentance looks like. See, repentance involves a change. The verse says, let the wicked forsake and the righteous man forsake. So what does it mean to forsake? Well, forsake means to abandon It means to change. It means to do something different. It means not to continue what was done before. It means to go in the opposite direction. So what are we to forsake? Well, the verse lists two things. First, the wicked man is to forsake his way. And second, the unrighteous man is to forsake his thoughts. Well, the word translated here is way. The Hebrew word is derek. It literally means road. And figuratively speaking, it means change your way of life, your course of life, your mode of action. See, what? it's not talking about one mistake. It's not talking about that, 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 that one mistake that you did. And, and yes, if, if you make a mistake, we should acknowledge, we should apologize and move on. But this is speaking something much, much bigger. This is speaking of course of life. It is speaking of a, a sinful disposition. This is what we must forsake. The second thing the verse says to forsake is thoughts. And the word translated here, thoughts, is not just something that pops in your head. I'm sure you, you had some, you're going, mind your own business, all of a sudden you get this thought in your head. Whoa, where did that come from? That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about these thoughts. It's not talking about an isolated thought, but it could be translated as, as plans or, or devices or schemes. It's, it's not a single thought that we are to forsake, but it's the way of thinking. It's an evil way of thinking. And you can see that really these two words actually mean the same thing. They're not talking about two separate things, but rather the same thing. And this, is, this makes sense because what we're looking at here is, is, is poetry. It's, it's Hebrew poetry. And a characteristic of Hebrew poetry, just like a characteristic of, of English poetry. If you look at something that was English poetry, you see rhyme, you see meter, you know it's poetry. Well, in Hebrew, you don't see rhyme and meter. What you see is parallelism. Parallelism. You, you can actually see it in your Bibles where they have it indented to show the parabolism. It's basically saying the same thing in two different ways. And this whole section is parallelism. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Is the same thing. So we're seeing the same things. It's said in a different way. So we are to forsake our sinful course of life, our wicked way of thinking, of, of planning, of scheming. We are to change the way we, we view ourselves, the way we view the world. 
And do you see how this is so much bigger? This is so much bigger than just simply saying, I'm sorry for, for a bad action that I did. You know, those wrong actions, they come from a wrong way of thinking. And if we repent, if we repent of, of the action, but never address the way of thinking that caused this action, we're not really repenting. And we will continue to do the same sinful action over and over again. And my friends, so many Christians fall into this trap. We do the same thing over and over again. We repent of the action. We know the action is wrong, but we don't change the way we're thinking. That's the root of the problem. And that's what, we, that's what this is calling us to do. Not the action. It's the way of thinking. That's what repentance looked like. We see the same words and the same parallelism both in, in, in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, For my thoughts, the Lord's talking again, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So your problem is not doing wrong things. This is not what causes us to fail to seek the Lord while he may be found. It's not what call, causes us to, to fail to call upon him while he is near. This is not what causes us to, to not hear his voice and harden our hearts today when he speaks to us. No, our problem is that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. Our problem is that our mode of thinking, our, our course of action, our plans, our entire outlook is not in alignment with God and God's thinking. My friends, we fail in our Christian life. We, we continue to, to commit the same sins over and over again. We continue to repent over and over again of the same sins because we refuse to change our thinking. We refuse to repent of sinful thinking. We refuse to forsake our wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. We refuse to conform our thinking to God's thinking. And here's a question. Is our thinking fundamentally different? Is it radically different from our unbelieving friends, our neighbors, our coworkers? And here's a scary thought. If someone were to observe us for a day at work or at school or, or driving in rush hour traffic or engaging in our hobbies or recreation, you know, playing tennis or at a dog show, and they compare us with the unbeliever who's sitting next to us, would we look different? Would we look fundamentally different? Would our thinking, would our thoughts, the things that are going through our mind, be any, the way we understand the world? Would it look any different from the unbeliever? It should. It should look different. And what should this difference look like? Well, let's look at verse 9. The Lord says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, this is what it should look like. Our ways, our thoughts, our worldview should be his ways, his thoughts, his worldview. The difference should be obvious. It should really be the difference between the heavens and the earth. Right? The distance between the heavens and the earth. This is a quantifiable difference, but it's not just quantifiable. Yes, there, there's a huge physical difference. You think of the heavens, think of the stars, think of how far away even the closest star is from us. That's a huge difference. And this is, this is an aspect of the difference. It highlights the, the radical, quantifiable difference there should be between the thinking of the Christian and the unbeliever. But there's not just this quantifiable difference. There's also a qualitative difference. See, our thinking is to be heavenly. Our thinking is not to be earthly. The focus is to be on the things of God, not on the things of this fallen world. <clears throat> we are to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. As Scripture tells us, the things that are unseen are transient. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And these verses, if we tie all this stuff together, seeking the Lord while he may be found, 
This is not a one-time thing. This is a way of life. It is our natural disposition. It is our natural way and, 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 the, and the natural way we think. And the only way we can do this, the only way we can think this way is by, by forsaking, by turning away from those ways and thoughts <clears throat> that are not in alignment with God, that are not his thoughts, that are not his ways. And we do this by repenting. When we recognize that we have sinned, that we're straying, that we're not thinking his thoughts, that we are thinking worldly thoughts, we sin, we, 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 we stray and, and, and we turn back, we repent. That is the only way that we can do this. We return to him. Return to the Lord, as it says in verse 6. Now, I want, I want to just end this sermon with an illustration that, that will make this application clear. Because often, I need to be careful when I, when I preach about the sin of our culture. Because in, in some senses, it's a safe target for me to, to, to look at the, the sins of abortion, the sins of transgenderism. And it's not that these are not sins. It's not that it's not the job of the church to confront the culture, be a prophetic voice into the culture. But the fact is, most people in this room would agree that these sins, these, these are evil, these are sins. I don't think most people would, would disagree with me who are in this room. So I don't think people are currently guilty of these sins. There, there may be people in these, these, this congregation who have had an abortion, but have repented of that, or have had different views and repented of that. So I don't think that that's, that's, that's something that's affecting us here today. So for the application, I, I want to hit much closer to home. I want to address sins that I think are in this room. I know, I know they're in me, sins that I struggle with. And the question is, do we trust God? I want you to think about it. Do you trust God? Do you trust him with our lives? Do we trust him with our money? Do we trust him with our children? Do we trust him with our time? Or when the, when the going gets tough, when we're under pressure, do we play it safe? Do we act no differently in the world? Do we rely on the, the world's wisdom? Do we think like the world or, or, or do we doggedly hold on to our, our faith, hold on to what we profess? Do we choose the world over our faith? And sadly, many people do this. See, if the Lord were to look at us today, if, if the Lord were to look at our bank accounts, if he looked at the way we use the resources that he has given, all everything we own is his. He has given to us. He's entrusted to us as a steward. What would he find? Are we using the resources that he has entrusted to us to build up his kingdom? or to build up our own kingdom, to bring him glory, or to bring us glory. How about our time? Where do we spend our time? If you looked at how we spent our time, are we doing things to build up the kingdom? Or do we seek our own amusement? Do we seek opportunity? When we have free time, do we seek opportunities to know him better, to love him more, to serve others in his name? Or do we serve ourselves? Do we, do we to take the time just to, 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 to vegetate on ourselves and, and to fill ourselves with mindless amusement? How about our religion? Are we consumers? Do we come to a church to, just to be entertained? Now, I don't think you come to this church to be entertained because I'm not very entertaining. Maybe funny stories about when I was a kid jumping on trampolines. But other than that, there's not really much entertainment. But do we come to see what we can get? Or do we say, how can I serve? How can I invest in the kingdom? See, every Christian, when you come to Christ, you're going to be a consumer because you, you need to be filled. You, you, you're, you're, you're immature and, and you need to have people pouring into you, mentoring you. But we shouldn't stay there. We should grow. We should become to the point where we are mentoring others, where we are giving, where we are investing in the kingdom and not just receiving. And sadly, many Christians stay in that receiving mode. They stay in that child mode in the kingdom. How about our entertainment? Do we fill our minds with material that honors God, that increases our love for him, our joy in him, or to feed our 
Or, or, or do we fill our minds with things that just feed our fleshly and sinful pleasures? Things that blaspheme God. Things that make him weep. How about when it comes to life choices? Colleges, careers, jobs, marriages. Do we seek the choice that most glorifies God? Or do we seek the, seek the choice that is most easiest? The thing that just kind of comes along, that we just kind of fall into. Or do we seek the things that glorify ourselves? Do we look at the things that bring us the most comfort, bring the most pleasure, the most prestige? Or do we seek to serve? And, or do we seek to consume? See, every single choice we make, every single choice we make, either leads us closer to God or leads us further away from Him. Now, for believers, for those who are a new creation in Christ, we can never cross that line that I was talking about. We can never be totally hardened our hearts where God removes his illumination. In other words, we can never lose our salvation. We truly belong to him. <clears throat> but if we continue to live and we continue to think no differently, no differently than the unbelievers, what will happen is we will start to see him less. We will see him less clearly. Christ and his kingdom will become more distant, become less real. And this world will become what's more real. Basically, as Christians, we will lose our saltiness. We will lose our saltiness. And Christian says, what, does, what use is salt if it becomes salty? It's, there's no use. We'll lose our joy. We'll, and we'll lose our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Basically, what we'll do is we'll become indistinguishable from the lost. And we'll be <clears throat> useless for the cause of Christ. And you see, that's Satan's goal. If you're a Christian, if you're truly born again, Satan cannot destroy your faith. He cannot destroy your soul. He cannot take you to hell. But what he can do is he can make you useless in the kingdom. And sadly, sadly, I believe this describes so many Christians in our country. Maybe even the majority of Christians in our country. They're saved. They will go to heaven. But they have absolutely no impact whatsoever on those around them. They'll go to heaven, but they won't take anyone along with them. Sometimes not even their own families. They'll be like Lot. Remember Lot from Genesis? He lived for years in, in Sodom, and he had absolutely no impact on the people of Sodom. Not even ten people in the city of Sodom knew about God. And, so, and, and Lot was saved. Lot was a believer. But he was a weak, ineffective believer. He couldn't even save his own wife. My friends, we have this window of opportunity, and it's for a limited time only. We don't want to squander this opportunity. We are to seek the Lord while he may be found. We are to call upon him while he is near. And we are to encourage others to seek the Lord while he still may be found. We are to encourage others to call upon him while he is still near. See, this window of opportunity is not going to be forever. It's not going to go on forever. One day it will close. It will close forever. And we do not know when that time is. So brothers and sisters, when this opportunity is still open, we will never have, we will never have regret We'll never have regret if we are living wholeheartedly for Christ and sharing his gospel with all. What we will regret, what we will regret is the times that we played safe, the times that we remained silent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do confess. We confess that we do not live as if we believe your word. We don't live any differently than those who do not know you. Father, we confess this and Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will change our ways, that our ways will be your ways, that our thoughts will be your thoughts, that we will live for you, we will live radical lives for you, lives that are <clears throat> basically pour out everything as, as drink offerings for you. Lord, protect us from playing it safe, protect us from being just like the world, being lukewarm, being of no use for your kingdom. Father, we pray that you will be glorified through us. We pray it all in Jesus' name.
Amen.